All right, we uh, I've entitled this A Great Forsaking in the Land is what I actually put it there. There is going to be a great forsaking in the land, Isaiah 6, verses 11 through 13. Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and there's a great forsaking in the midst of the land. This, of course, has a, an internal application, which is what we will always emphasize. But it also will have an outward application, and I want to always say that so that we all are aware that we are living in perilous times, and we need to, need to keep in mind that the Lord could at any time take down the hedge that uh, has been keeping us safe in the world as a nation, and we could physically begin to experience the judgments of the Lord, because they will come at their point in time. Isaiah 6, verses 11 through 13. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree, and as an oak tree whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance, substance thereof. Now we've learned that the seraphims in this chapter are just another symbol of God's elect who are in the midst and round about the throne of God. The reason Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I mean Isaiah, is asking this question, Lord, how long? Is because these seraphims have given him a commission to speak to God's people. And he is coming to you and me with this question, which is a question that we all have. Lord, how long? It's When you're going through a trial, it seems like an eternity. And that's the sentiment that is being expressed here. We've learned that the seraphims are just another symbol of God's elect who are in the midst of and round about the throne of God in heaven which we read about in uh, Revelation 4, verse 6. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne, around about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Those four beasts are the same thing as the seraphim. The book of Revelation adds the four and twenty elders to the various biblical types and figures of God's elect who will rule with them through the millennium, and then be used of God as the saviors of all mankind through the lake of fire, which is merely one more type and figure of our Lord's elect, whose words will devour the kingdom of our old man. Isaiah 33, verses 14 and 15, the sinners in Zion are afraid, fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? That's uh, a, a Everybody wants to know, who, who is it that's in the fire? Well, it's not who we've been taught. Here's who it is. He that walks righteously and speaks uprightly. He that despises the gain of oppressions, that shakes his hand from holding bribes, and stops his ears from hearing of blood, and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. Uh, let me read that verse again. He that, is, he that walks righteously 
speaks uprightly, despises the gain of oppressions, that shakes his hand from holding bribes and stops his ears from hearing of blood and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. That's who is comfortable in the fire. Jeremiah 5.14, here's the fire. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire, and this people would, and it will devour them. It doesn't torment them for all eternity. It devours what needs to be burned out of their lives. Revelation 4.4, 4, round about the throne were four and twenty elders, twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, my words are fire, for those who can receive it, is the biblical definition of the lake of fire, which will be used by God to judge the whole world, which will be raised up in the realm of the Spirit. This is a mystery to a lot of people. They just don't understand it. But here's what the truth of the matter is when it comes to resurrection. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, we're talking about resurrection from the dead at the first resurrection and at the second resurrection. We're not speaking about resurrections that were performed by prophets and by Christ in the past. When someone is raised from the dead into a physical body to just live out their life, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being raised to the only in life. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a living spirit. That was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. <clears throat> we were not spirits that became flesh and were going to return to spirit. The, the natural is first. So get rid of that law of circularity that some people believe in. Just get rid of it. It's a lie. The four and twenty elders, the four beasts, tell us plainly who they are. Revelation 5, 8 through 10. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of others, which are the prayers of the saints. Every one of them had these. And these all sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth, these four and twenty elders and these four beasts. So the seraphim of Isaiah 6 are the kings and priests redeemed to God out of all the nations, who shall reign with Christ on the earth for a thousand years. The 144,000 of Revelation 7 and Revelation 14 are also redeemed from among men and are just another symbol of Christ's first fruits, who will reign with him on the earth and will then become the fire of the lake of fire. I lived for many, many years trying to figure out what these different groups were. had no idea that it was all just the same thing. The vision is one. What a wonderful principle we've been given to understand. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. Don't you know that the saints shall judge the world and if the world should be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? No, you're not the saints that we should judge angels. How much more things that pertain to this life? 
So we judge the world during the thousand years. We judge angels in the lake of fire. <clears throat> Revelation 20 and Revelation 2 verses 26 and 27. He that overcomes keep, keeps my works to the end. To him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with rod of iron. <clears throat> as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. Broken to shivers does not mean that there won't be nations. It means they will not be rebellious nations. <clears throat> because the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. Revelation 11, verse 15. <clears throat> Revelation 14, verse 4. <clears throat> These, uh, are talking about the 144,000, are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. And they were redeemed from among they were these were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now when it says these are they which are not that were not defiled with women, it's not speaking of physical virgins. That's not what it's speaking of. It's speaking of spiritual virgins who have overcome the number and name of them and the mark of the beast. As it says in elsewhere in the book of Revelation. Revelation twenty verse four. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. Now this is those who reigned with Christ a thousand years, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their forehead or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now again, this is not saying they never did. It's saying they overcame. You've got to keep that in mind. Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10. Now we went over this during the conference because this just seems to be a hard thing for people to get in mind. Is What is this timeline of what God is doing? Well, here it is, Revelation 20. Verses 7 through 10, we were just told in Revelation, or in verse 4 there, that thrones were set and judgment was given to them. And then in verse 7, when the thousand years are expired, Satan is loosed out of his prison. and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Gog and Magog, that's just a symbol of the whole world. Every man who's in the flesh. To gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Now, you know, I know how we think. We think, well, there were innocent little children there. Why, why would God do that to them? God just doesn't put the value on flesh that you and I put on it. When Korah was devoured by the earth, his little children were there in the door with him. They had no idea that they were about to be swallowed up by the earth. Does that make God an, an evil, wicked God like some people want to make him out to be? Well, that's that. if you feel like that, that's where God, that's the spirit God has sent to you. And I can't change that, but I can tell you this right now. God loves those people, and he's going to bring them all back to loving him. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. And brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night for the eon of the eons, not forever and ever. 
be tormented day and night with the time needed to burn out of them what is needed to be taken out of them with God's fiery words. Now this brings us to the judgment of angels, of resurrected spirit bodies, spiritual bodies, that we just read about in 1 Corinthians 15. That brings us to the great white throne. Verse 11, I saw a great white throne. Very next verse. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. In other words, our lives and Christ's life. That's Christ is the book of life. Our lives are all written in a book, according to Psalm 139, verse 16. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So that's that's the timeline of how God is working and what he will do. Now these seraphims and cherubims fly wing touching wing as a single-minded body proclaiming the everlasting gospel and crying one to another, affirming the works of God to the children of men. This is the message of the seraphims, and this is also the message, our message, one to another, me to you and you to me. Psalms 107, verses 25 through 31. He commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the winds the waves thereof. They mount up to heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. We all know what this is talking about because we've all lived it. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He makes the storm calm so that the waves there are still. Then they are glad because they be quiet. So he brings them unto their desired heaven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Well, all men will in time. But in the meantime, there is a lot of judgment to take place. We hate God for raising the stormy winds and the... Uh, waves thereof, lifting up the waves thereof. These destructive judgments against the kingdom of our old man are, are his wonderful works to the children of men. That, that's, that's why he has it right there at the end of all that uh, commotion, all that angst, all that tribulation and suffering. Our rebellious old man thinks that God's ways are wicked ways and that we are we his marred creation. We're much more righteous than our creator. Being brought to our wit's end, to our old man, is simply nothing less than sadistic torment from an unjust God. And like Job, we all come to our wit's end, and we reprove, contend with, and condemn God to make ourselves appear righteous in our own minds. First Kings 6, verse 27. He set the cherubims within the inner house, and they stretched forth the wings of the cherubims, so that the wings of the one touched the one wall, and the wings of the other the, uh, touched the other wall, and their wings touched one another in the middle of the house. And, and this is in Isaiah 6, verses 3 and 4. One seraph cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door of the house of God moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Just like it says in Revelation 
uh, 15. No man can enter into the temple until the the uh, until the seven plagues have been fulfilled. Revelation 14, verse 6, I saw another angel fly, fly through the midst of heaven. This is these cherubims, these seraphims, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. As these seraphims and cherubims, four and twenty elders, and the hundred and forty-four thousand, what is it that we are to proclaim to the everlasting, as the everlasting gospel? We don't have to guess. It's no coincidence that immediately after seeing the seraphims around the throne of God and having a live coal from the altar placed upon his lips, Isaiah is sent as a witness to preach the gospel and to proclaim God's judgments upon the Lord's rebellious people. It's no coincidence that Ezekiel had the exact same experience. Immediately after having a very similar vision, just adding more details to our understanding, Immediately after being shown the Lord's throne and the cherubims around the Lord's throne, Ezekiel was also sent to proclaim the gospel and to declare the Lord's judgments upon the people, the people of Israel. Isaiah 6, 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then said, I am here, send me. Ezekiel's experience is exactly the same as Isaiah's. Immediately after being shown the Lord's throne and the cherubims around his throne, Ezekiel was given this commission. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat you that you find, eat this roll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused, caused me to eat the roll. Notice that. It wasn't something that he volunteered to do. He was made to do it. Caused to do it. Verse 3, he said unto me, Son of man, Cause your belly to eat, and fill your bowels with this roll that I give you. Digest this. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. But well, we have some details added to this experience in the book of uh, Revelation, where John gets the exact same commission. This commission to us actually appears three times in the scriptures. And here's where John was shown the throne of God in heaven, just like both Isaiah and uh, Ezekiel. Revelation 4, verse, verse 1 through uh, 8, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. That's what all three of these prophets have experienced, and this is what you and I experience. And the first voice that I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up here, and I will show you things which must short." which must be hereafter. <clears throat> and immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, just like in the other two visions. And one sat on the throne. <clears throat> and he that sat was to look upon like Jasper and sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, just like in Ezekiel, in sight like an emerald. Round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders, clothed, sitting, clothed with raiment, white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. 
which are the seven spirits of God. You say, well, why doesn't he tell us what those thunderings and voices were? Well, he is doing that. That's what the book of Revelation is, what came out of that throne. <clears throat> and uh, before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like crystal. In the middle of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts, full of eyes before and behind. And yes, that is what I said, in the middle of the throne and round about the throne. They are sitting on the throne with Christ, in Christ, in his Father. And the first beast was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third had the face of a man, and the fourth had, was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. That's the only time you see that phrase in that order, was and is and is to come. All the other times it's is, was, and will be. In Revelation 10, John gives us the exact same commission given to us here in, in Ezekiel, in Isaiah and in Ezekiel. It's worded slightly differently, but the variations in the description of the throne of God and what takes place around the throne of God simply adds to our understanding of why we're shown his throne and, and the living creatures, which symbolize those saints who are seated round about God's throne <clears throat> with Christ in the heavens. This is all taking place in the heavens around the throne of God. And we have been shown what that means. We're given, as those who are there, the same commission the third time here in the book of Revelation. This is what the, we're commanded to proclaim as his gospel, Revelation 10, verses 7 through 10. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. And he declares, as, as he has declared to his servants the prophets, and the voice that I heard from heaven spake unto me again, say, and said, Go and take this little book, which is open, which is open, wasn't sealed, in the hand of the angel, which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. Same thing that he said to uh, Ezekiel. And it shall make your belly bitter, but that's the part that wasn't in Ezekiel. Ezekiel was told his mouth was sweet as in his mouth it was sweet as honey, but here in the, in the Revelation we find out that after he eats it, it makes his belly bitter. And I took the little book out, out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. But why does the devouring of this little book make her belly bitter? It's because this is the same book we're commanded to eat in the book of Ezekiel, and we're given the same commission. Revelation 10, verse 11, next verse, very next verse. And he said to me, You must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Now, there is a variation here. Not only is, is uh, are you and I, that is, the, the, as the progression of our understanding increases, not only are we a witness to the Lord's people, but we're a witness to many people and nations and tongues and kings. Now that has a dual meaning, in it, and by that I mean an inward and an outward application. And all three prophets were given the same commission, 
give his words to his people and to leave nothing out and to add nothing to I'm just going to give the Revelation version here. There's another statement, same statement made back in the book of Deuteronomy, but here's what it says in Revelation. Verse, verse, chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. I testify to every man that hears the word, words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. That's speaking of those who are brought into our fellowship and who then leave us because in in time even they will be brought back to God but this has a application for right now we're given to be seated with Christ in his father's throne in the heavens that's Ephesians 6 2 and this is how John describes a two sick this is how John described part of our experience while being seated with Christ in the heavens Revelation 10, verses 1 through 4. I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. If you read the description of Christ in chapter 1, chapter 1, it's the exact same description. He had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Now, there's only one thing concerning what is written of the things that are to be kept by us, as verse 3 of chapter 1 tells us, which we're not given to know. And here's where the, what that is. James 4, verses 13 through 15. Go to now, you that say tomorrow. Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will live, do this or that. God has given us the revelation of Jesus of Christ, his Christ, and the things that must shortly come to pass within our own lives. But he's done so in signs and symbols and in very de uh, definite yet very general terms. We've been plainly told that the disciples of Christ will be hated of all men, that through much tribulation we must enter into the kingdom of God, and we're plainly told that if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him, and that we are not to think, think it strange concerning the fiery trials which are to uh, try us. Well, that's, that's going to be a lot of what the book of Isaiah is all about. But here's the same thing in Peter, 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. And then 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, 
If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. We're also plainly told to present our bodies as a living sacrifice and to be crucified with Christ. Romans 12.1, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In Galatians 2.20 again, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now there's all of those very general statements of fact. We know that this is what we should expect. So, so much for the damnable doctrine of the substitutionary death of Christ, which the Lord himself has given to the adversary for so many long years to rob so many of their salvation in this age. It's by God's design, but it's a lie that he uses to do it. God is honest with his creatures, and he wants us to know up front that while the rewards of our obedience far outweigh the price of what we must pay, nevertheless, we are bought with the price, and that we, too, are expected to be crucified with Christ to fill up in our lives what is behind of the afflictions of Christ for his body's sake, which is the church. In other words, we're paying part of the price for the salvation of all men, just like Christ did. He said, as my Father sent me, even so send I you. Colossians 1, verse 24. If you think I'm making this up, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Well, Paul is not some special apostle. that He's the only one that was given that commission. No. We live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and these are inspired words out of the mouth of God. But this is all presented to us in very general terms. We only see them as, as we are caused to eat the words of God by being given eyes to see the things of the Spirit and ears to hear the things of the Spirit. Again, you know, Ezekiel 3, 2, I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that roll. Uh, we don't know the details. That's those seven thunders that he was not allowed to write. This is how we'll be received by those who are not given to receive our witness. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. How do you demonstrate the Spirit and power? Well, you go to the Word of God. He goes on to tell us that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What's he talking about? Look at the next verse. How be it we speak? We speak. That's the power of God. That's the wisdom of God. That's the preaching of, of, of God's words, not according to men's wisdom. That's the demonstration of the Spirit and power. When I show you something in the Bible, it's powerful. I just say something, that's just an opinion. But the Word of God is powerful. Albeit we speak wisdom among them that are being perfected. That's what it should read. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. I mean, it does no good for us to swap opinions. You know, just your, your opinion is no better than mine. But the Word of God is better than both of our opinions put together. 
we speak the word wisdom of God in a mystery, in the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world under our glory. We, we, we have a hard time even explaining God's wisdom to the world because they don't have the eyes to receive it, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen carnal eye, nor carnal ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them to love him. But God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Verses 12 to 14, the same chapter, second chapter of Corinthians. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are given, freely given to us of God, which things we also speak. The things that are given to us of God are things that we speak of. Not in words which the man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And nothing is more foolish to the natural man than to have to go through pain at God's hand and by God's decree to be, to be redeemed back to him. That is total foolishness and our old man hates the doctrine of Christ, the gospel of Christ. Because his gospel is the raising up of the winds and the waves and the, the salvation from that situation and the peace that comes afterward. We are granted to see all these spiritual things to understand the spiritual significance of all the spiritual symbols only because we are saved by grace. And that saving grace we're given uh, and through that saving grace we're given the Spirit which gives us the eyes that see and the ears that hear the things of the Spirit. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has given us has given us life together with Christ. By grace you are saved. There it is. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavens in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ. We're granted to be shown in Christ and with him as the finished prophet. We will be God's glory that he will show to the rest of the world. The finished product of his chastening grace, the thing that mankind hates so much. We are given spiritual eyes and ears only through God's saving grace. This is what God's favor and his grace does for us, to us. This again is why the digesting and the devouring of the little book, which is opened to us is sweet in our mouths and bitter in our bellies. Here's what God's grace does to us and accomplishes within us. The grace of God that brings salvation to has appeared to all men, teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. Lord is God. By grace you are saved is not just is not thrown in there just to fill up space or to make God appear to be gracious. A grace you are saved has everything to do with what is involved in coming to see an open door in the heavens. 
and seen and understand what it means to have our lips touched with a live coal from the altar of God's temple in, in heaven, and to eat a roll within and with, uh, written within and without, and to receive the things of the Spirit. Grace has everything to do with those things. You will not be given those without being given God's grace. Now those who value the flesh, who have been given to hate their own Creator, cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God or their foolishness to it. And he cannot know them because they're spiritually discerned. But God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. So the Spirit searches out all things. Yes, the deep things of God. And nothing is any deeper than what we, as the seraphims around the throne of God, are given to understand and are commissioned to proclaim to the Lord's people. It's not a popular message to our old man. It is completely rejected by the world to which we to which it also applies at the appointed time. Isaiah speaks to, of us when he inquires of the Lord. Verses 11 through 13. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without men, man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord removed man far away, and a great forsaking in the midst of the land. And, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet it shall be a tent, and it shall return, and it shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak tree, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. And the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. A tent will return, and even that tent will be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak, whose substance is is in them when they cast leaves. That, that That's very dire words. What specifically must we proclaim and prophesy is not a popular message. It's revealed to be the same in the words given to Ezekiel and to John and in the book of Revelation. Revelation 14, verses 6 through 11. Again, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains and the, of waters. <clears throat> and there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This is the everlasting gospel that you and I proclaim. And we have to explain that Babylon is within. That we are the ones being judged. It's not someone else. This is a personal admonition. We are the ones who keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And the third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without measure, without mixture, into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends up for the eon of the eons, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. 
Well, that message is repeated in the next chapter, chapter 15. One of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels the seven vials full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple is filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was, no man, not, not a single person was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Now, all of that is what we are told we must live. And what does the Holy Spirit say of this message? The very next verse in Revelation 14 tells us what all of that fire and brimstone being tormented for God by God day and night is, is. It tells us what it is. The next verse tells us who it is that must keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Who must fulfill the seven plagues of the seven angels before they can enter into the temple of God. This is who it is that is tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 14, verse 12, the very next verse. Right after verses 6 through 11, we just read there. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. It's just amazing that we can read over that and not to see that that was talking verses 6 through 11. Back up, let me go over those verses. Uh, right here. An angel flies through heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Well, there it is. Everybody, everybody, saying with a loud voice, fear God. And give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, this great, that great city, because she made all nations, everybody, to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. In Revelation 13, it's, it tells us, you know, everyone worships the beast. Wouldn't it? And, uh, and, and the third angel follows, saying, if any man worshiped the beast, well, they all did. All did. We all did. The same should drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Well, no man can enter the temple until he does. So there would be nobody there if we didn't all drink of it, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, no further eon of the eons, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receives the mark of his name. Well, we all do. And again, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Christ. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is the patience of the saints. The patience and faith of the saints. Matthew 4.4 4, And mankind, it's anthropos, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 and 22 Therefore let no man glory in man, men, for all things are yours. All men go through the same thing. How can we glory in men? Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. We all go through all. Isaiah's lips being touched by the live coal from the altar, Ezekiel's eating of the book, and John's eating of the roll are all, one and all, types and figures of Christ's commandment he gives us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. It's all the same thing. We do so first to let those words do their, and by we, I mean the first fruits do it first. To let those words, words do their work within us. 
and then we can be used of Christ to give his fiery words to others, just as he used those words to bring us to himself. But just as we at first hated and ridiculed his words, Ezekiel informs us that our words also will not at first be received by God's own people. Ezekiel 3, verse 4, uh, on down through verse 11. He said to me, Son of man, get you into the house of Israel. Speak, and, and speak with my words unto them. For you are not sent to a people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many people of a strange speech or a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, for they shall not listen, for they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel is impudent and hard hearted. Behold, I have made my your face strong against their faces, and your forehead strong against their forehead, as an adamant harder uh, than flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all of my words that I shall speak unto you receive you in your heart. And hear with your ears, and go, get you to them of the captivity. See, that's that's what I was saying. We have to receive them first. We have to go through them first. Then we are used of God to give them to others. Then go you to them of the captivity. Well, the whole world is captive under the children of your people, and speak to them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord, whether they hear or whether they will forbear. Christ required that his disciples eat my flesh which he which he equates with the bread of life he also equates his blood with the water of life john 6 verses 53 through 58 then jesus said to them verily verily i say to you except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and i will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is meat indeed and my dr blood is drink indeed told the woman of the well, give me to drink. And he said, if you, if you knew who, who you were, you would ask me to give you to drink. And what he was talking about is his blood and his flesh. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. When he says eats me, he means eat and drink. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eats this bread shall never shall live forever. Christ is the bread of life, the tree of life, the water and river of life. He's also the book of life, book of life, simply because he is the truth and the life. And because having eternal life is a matter of knowing him and his Father. John fourteen verses three through seven. And if I go. And prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we know not whither you go, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is everything, the temple, the altar, the sacrifice on the altar. He is 
those who come to the altar because he is in us and we come to the altar. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. <clears throat> That's our study for today.